You guys, welcome to episode 55 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives into well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McKeady, and um, my God, have I got a show for you. You know, every time I say that, I know that I say it every week, and like at this point it feels disingenuous, but I just have to tell you the backstory. When I say that, I'm actually channeling Cher, because as a child, shout out to my friend Russ Martin, who I actually had this conversation with. Um, like last year and he knew what I was talking about but when I was little and when you were little when we were all little when we were cheerings Cher Cher had a workout video Um, it was like a step fitness video if you guys remember the step um, which I actually live for like I still I still consider the step a great uh, a great um use of cardio what um anyway but Cher had a workout video and it was it's a, it's on youtube it's the greatest thing in the entire world it truly is a great workout and when i was little my mom and my grandmother used to do it all the time like share fitness um and they wonder why i'm gay by the way uh but there's like a part at the beginning of the video where Cher walks towards the camera and like with her super stiff face and like barely moving body she says have I got a workout for you? And then it goes into like an 80s share song and it's great. It's like truly a masterpiece. It's a gym. Why are we talking about this within one minute of this episode? You guys, I'm just a little jazzed up. It's 1215. It's the middle of the night where I am. It's super late. Um, I'm just finishing my notes on this podcast and I was going to record this tomorrow But I figured I'm all jazzed up and I may as well just do it tonight. You know what I mean? Not to get it over with, but because I don't know if I'll be able to harness this energy again. And I know that in the past I've talked about, you know, I've talked a big game about, you know, my research and the notes I take for this podcast, which I love doing. But I thought that I had really reached like peak insanity And I realized sort of halfway through this that I wasn't even, I've never, I was never prepared to do this episode. I was never like, I don't know what the hell I thought I was, I don't know what I was thinking, sitting here and thinking like, oh, I can cram all of this insanity into one episode. There's no fucking way. So I'm telling you right off the top that this is a part one. I'm going to do a part two to this episode next week where we will conclude the life of Charlie Sheen. You guys, can we talk? I I had the nerve. Can you believe me? Like, can you believe me? I had the nerve to sit here and act like, oh, I'll be able to do a full-on Charlie Sheen episode in like an hour and a half, and I'll give the people what they want, and we'll wrap it up, and it'll be great, and we'll tie it in a bow and ship it off. Like, that's what I truly thought in my head. Delusional. Delusional. There's no possible way you can fit all of the Charlie Sheen insanity into one hour. It's just not possible. Especially when you spend the first two minutes talking about Cher's fitness DVDs from the 80s. Um, I'm specifically talking about Charlie Sheen and Denise Richards today, so this is the sort of tame, the tame prelude to the second part of this episode, which is gonna be fucking insane, involving, you know, uh, oh my god, Brooke Mueller and, uh, what's her name? Fucking Heather, uh, why can't I think of Heather's last name right now? You know, 
Melrose Place. Oh, God, don't you hate when people do this? Hold on, let me Google it so I can put both of us out of our misery. Heather, Heather Locklear, who has been in the news very recently for having all these little, you know, mental breakdowns and, you know, having standoffs with the police and drinking in her car and, um, you know, all this crazy shit. Just a, there's a lot going on. But today I'm focusing specifically on Denise Richards and Charlie Sheen. Um, also on brand because Denise Richards may possibly be joining the cast of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Can we talk? So I don't know. It's. You know, I'm just giving it over to God, as I always do. I mean, you guys know I'm a good Christian, and I am shepherded through this podcast by God. So I just, I hope that I can make it through. I've never taken so many notes and not finished. Like, I've never taken this amount of notes and not finished my, like, research or finished the person's life. I'm not even anywhere near being done with Charlie Sheen's relationships and with this craziness. We're not even going to get to the tiger blood in this episode. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we're not even going to get to that level of Charlie Sheen because we're not there yet. But like I said, don't worry. Next week, I'm doing a Brooke Mueller, Charlie Sheen episode. It's going to be great. But we got to start from the beginning. So why don't we go ahead and just get started. Like, truly settle in. Like, (laughs) pull your loved ones close. Nestle in. Share a blanket. If you have a hot tea, go ahead and stir it up. Get it ready to go. Like, truly, I mean, really be prepared. You know what I mean? Be prepared fully for what is about to happen. So Charlie Sheen and Denise Richards started dating in May of 2001. They got engaged in January of 2002. And they got married on June and June of the same year. Uh, They divorced on November 30th of 06 for an array of reasons, as you can imagine. Uh, Charlie and Denise have two children together who have been very publicly put through absolute hell by their parents. Um, And by their parents, I mean by Charlie. And um, yeah, they met while working on uh, the film Good Advice in the year 2000. And they started dating after Denise guest starred on Charlie's series, Spin City, also starring Heather Locklear. And uh, yeah, they're known for having one of the messiest, ongoing, longest, messiest, messiest, messiest divorces in Hollywood history. Um, I mean, it continues up to an hour ago. I mean, it's constantly something that's being talked about. And uh, yeah, I wanted to start today with Denise because Denise is truly our palate cleanser. Like Denise is like... In this specific scenario, I was about to say situation or something, I don't know. Um, In this specific situation, Denise is really the appetizer. She is just a a crudetat. Is that the correct term? You know what I mean? She's a piece of ham on a biscuit. Like She's, you know, in comparison to Charlie, who was just a full fucking animal's legs sat down in front of us with a fork and knife. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... It's a nice transition. Um, Denise Richards grew up in Downers Grove, Illinois. Her dad was a telephone engineer and her mom owned a coffee shop. And uh, Denise and her family are about as Illinois as you can get. Like, Denise has a pretty strong accent, but if you've heard Denise's dad speak, it's like, truly, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, if you watched her reality TV show, he really did sound like, like a a cop in, like, a 90s action film. 
just pure Illinois, you know, like Vicky Gumbelson a little bit, Vicky Gumbelson's family, just pure like Midwestern Illinois hard A's. But he's a really sweet, adorable guy. And I actually think Denise Richards is sweet and adorable too. But I have weird theories about her and I have a lot of things that I need to clear up and things I need to get off my chest and things I need to work through. And just a lot of PTSD weird shit that I need you guys to help me through that we'll get to. Um, her family moved to Oceanside, California in 1989 when she was 15. And she had a pretty normal life as a child. You know, she had parents that loved her. They weren't wealthy. They weren't poor. Um, she was just pretty normal. She was a pretty girl. Um, she, her first gig was in a music video. She was in, um, a, mu a video for the band, uh, Double, uh, and the song was called Captain of Her Heart. Uh, and, uh, not too long after she started working as a model, she got to travel all over the world and, you know, she was a part of all these different campaigns and her agency actually, uh, they sent her to Tokyo for two months after graduating high school. Um, they moved her into this like studio apartment that was in a terrible neighborhood. It was infested with cockroaches. And, um, she said in her memoir, I can never say that word, by the way, that's a really tough one for me. I've really, I've really worked through a lot of words on this podcast, but memoir will never get there. I don't know her. Um, she, you know, she opened the door to this place and she saw literally hundreds of cockroaches covering every crevice of this place. The walls, the floor, the couch. She saw them crawling in her sink. They were going in the cabinets and in the cupboards, in the, uh, in her bedding. She remembered, like, pulling back her bedding and just seeing hundreds of bugs just living underneath the, the blankets. Um, and she said she remembered just shutting the door and running out and crying and, like, not knowing what to do. And, uh... She also, while she was there, became very violently ill while she was living in Tokyo. She asked her modeling agency if she could go home, and they threatened to sue her and her family if she left. So she modeled uh, while having a parasite eating her stomach away uh, because she ate some bad sushi. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen, I'm going to have to look it up and then I'll I'll get back to y'all. Like I'll, I'll I'll bring it up again next week. But um, there is a documentary about girls like this who get sent to these other countries um, for modeling gigs. I think that this documentary takes place in Russia, and it shows these girls that are like you know thirteen, fourteen years old. I think the girls in the movie are like fifteen, and you know their families are dirt poor. They have no money. And they're decently looking, sort of awkward 15 or 13, you know, 14 year old girls that have dreams of being supermodels. And they go to these casting calls and these agencies will sign these young girls and then they send them away and have them believe that they're going to like live out this dream where they're going to be like, you know, Nick Nambi Campbell living in Paris and drinking champagne and gallivanting around with a company credit card and like a Chanel blazer. You know what I mean? <laughs> like with like a Polaroid camera, just like living a full on aesthetic. You know what I mean? But what actually happens is these companies send these girls to these dilapidated homes that are in horrible neighborhoods that are unlivable. They're usually infested with bugs like this. And, um, they have no money, they have no, they can barely survive, they can barely eat, um, they get an allowance to, like, eat dinner every night, which is nothing, 
and uh, they just work them like dogs. And they have they don't speak the language. They're young. They're naive. And if they try and leave, they can be sued for whatever you know the cost would be for them to fill you know to um, the cost of the com- combined jobs that they've been signed for. So they were showing these girls that were 15 years old being you know threatened to be sued for like you know twenty thousand dollars or forty thousand dollars. And these are girls that grow up in literal shacks. You know what I mean? Um, specifically, the girls that I saw in Russia. I know this happens like all over the world. I was not surprised at all when I read any of that stuff because I was like, I've definitely seen this before. I will find out the name of that documentary and I will mention it next week, I promise, because it's really good. And uh, yeah. Anyway, Denise was also very notoriously like uh, prude about her body and stuff, even though he, she has this like sex symbol image. Um, she notoriously turns down nude scenes and, uh, which is interesting because it's kind of what people think about when they think of Denise Richards, it's, is her nude scenes, uh, like the, the couple she's had that became really impactful. But when she was a teenager living in Japan, she refused to do any photo shoot that required her to be in underwear. So her agency despised her because that's knocking out like 90% of the jobs that they want them to do. Uh, you know, of course, these, like, 13, 14-year-old girls are, like, the ideal body type and these for these fucking disgusting modeling pedophiles. So, she was uh, considered a, you know, like a bad apple. They hated her. You know, later on in her career, she f- was in a film called Starship Troopers, and the director came to her and told her that, you know, he had written this love scene for her that would require her to be nude, and she actually turned it down, um because she felt the scene had nothing to do with her character, and that was, like, the first of many times that Denise Richards would turn down a nude scene. And after saving a really large portion of money from her modeling, Denise decided she wanted to get just a very small implant. Uh, She grew up being very jealous of her sister's uh, C-cup boobs. You know, she wasn't one of these girls that wanted, like, a Pam Anderson nipples to the wind kind of situation. She just, she wanted like a, a cup size that would fill out a dress or whatever. You know what I mean? She, she wasn't, she wasn't that girl. She's not the girl that you guys think she is. I swear. Like after doing research, I thought the same thing. She's like, not that girl. Um, so she went to this plastic surgeon and she spoke to him about, you know, putting just like a small little B cup implant in, in her breasts and she, ew, breasts. Oh my God. Ugh. Uh, and she, she woke up with size D cup boobs because this guy just sort of took it upon himself to make them bigger. Um, so she lived with these, these giant boobs for a couple years and then she went to go have them corrected before she filmed Wild Things because she didn't want, she didn't want to be the girl in Wild Things that had big giant fake boobs. And, you know, she told the doctor, you know, I had my, my surgery a little bit botched, like this guy did not listen to me at all, and he gave me what he said he thought I would want instead of what I wanted, and I'd like to have them smaller. So she had surgery, and then she woke up with bigger boobs. The second doctor who was supposed to correct her her uh, implants gave her bigger implants. So then she was even bigger than a D-cup. How fucked up is that? Aren't men fucking monsters? My God. Um... And then those breast implants actually ended up rupturing, and she spent 
four months like trying to correct them i mean it's been a whole thing her whole life and she actually said in her book she said now my breasts are the size and shape i've wanted um back when i was 19 and she said though i wish i'd felt confident enough confident enough with my body to have never had surgery in the first place it would have saved me a lot of pain and money uh that's like crazy by the way like Two separate doctors. Not only did you go to another doctor and tell him, I've been scorned by this monster. He just put whatever implant he wanted in me and whatever. And then the guy takes that doctor's advice and just gives her these giant, like, cone boobs. It's crazy. Um, and Denise also did that thing that I always talk about in this podcast where, you know, she was a pretty young girl. Now she has these big, giant double D boobs and... You know, she appeared in a bunch of movies as the hot girl. She was a, a hot girl in Married with Children. I think she, like, walked across the screen for five minutes or something in a bathing suit. Um, she also made guest appearances on Lewis and Clark. She was on Seinfeld. Um, she had a short, like, guest arc on um, Melrose Place. Um, she was on Beverly Hills 90210. And in 1997, when she started in Star Troopers... Um, she was nominated for a Blockbuster Entertainment Award for Favorite Female Newcomer. Cumber? Um, so, yeah, I mean, she was her career was on the up and up. She was a girl that f it felt like she had exciting things in her future. You know, she was pretty. She could act enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> enough to be the lead in a movie. Um, and I guess, you know, according to Hollywood standards, that's kind of all you need. Now, in 1997, though... Wild things. You guys sitting down? Do you have your tea? Do you have your snacks? What are you eating, by the way? Because I'm about to eat a cough drop. That's my snack. That's my snack of choice. Um, you guys, we have to talk about wild things for a second. I have so many things to say. I have so many notes on wild things. I really hope that this movie means as much to you as it does to me. I know that statistically, it can't be all of you that cares about wild things. There are some of you that haven't seen it. Probably Cara Berry. I'm assuming that Cara Berry hasn't seen wild things. I know that it's an outlandish thing to say, but Cara Berry has expo exposed herself as a woman that has not seen iconic films, and I would bet my left lung on the fact that Cara Berry has not seen this movie. And if, Cara, if you're listening, you need to fucking watch Wild Things, girl. Um, let me just start by saying that not only is this one of my favorite movies of all time in film history... This is a movie that I've watched so many times over and over that I can recite dialogue to you. Um, it's a movie that pushed me very far into my preteen sexual awakening and not in the way that you would think. It was more so like, holy mother of God, I like men. Okay, you know what I mean? Like truly, I felt like Matt Dillon was something that I had 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 manifested. I prayed I stared at my Ken dolls and thought, my God, if they could just come to life. And then suddenly I'm seeing this beautiful, raven-haired, raspy-voiced, tan, sort of mysterious, sort of a bad actor, but like in a hot way. You know what I mean? Like, just, he really, I manifested him. I truly invoked Menno. I invoked thee, and I got my man, okay? As Katie Holmes would say, that's my man. That's my man. Um, and I also just have to say, too, that one of my favorite memories of the 90s, or I guess it would be the early 2000s, maybe, 
as a child, was going to Blockbuster and buying this movie because can you imagine how unsavory that looked for a little boy to slide the the Wild Things cassette across the table or across the counter at Blockbuster with like a fucking bag of cotton candy and a Ben and Jerry's Chunky Monkey? Like, clearly she knew what kind of night I was going to be having, but like, not the night that she thought. You know what I mean? Like, in this woman's mind, she probably was like, you little fuck, you're, like, gonna be looking at these girls' boobs, and I wanted to be like, girl, nah-uh-uh, I'm gonna be looking for Matt Dillon's bone sack. Um, Wild Things was released on March 20th, 1998. The movie stars Denise Richards and Nev Campbell, Matt Dillon and Bill Maher, and Kevin Bacon. And Wild Things is a strange movie because it's really, it's it's popular enough and it made enough of a cultural impact that it's what Denise Richards and, in some ways, Nev Campbell, it's what they're kind of known for. Even though, obviously, Nev is known for Scream, but, like, this is also the movie that people bring up. But it's also not a movie that people talk about all the time. It's not, like, you know, some cinema classic that people bring up all the time as being, like, a great film of this time period. Even though it was a great film. Like, Wild Things is a wildly, no pun intended, entertaining film. It's funny, it's sexy, it's campy, it's cheesy, it's kind of scary, it's intriguing. I mean, it really is, like, it's everything you would want in a film. And by the way, it's a sexual thriller, and you know how your boy feels about that. Um, And the movie also really sort of cemented Denise Richards as this sex symbol. You know, she was... That was the sort of trajectory at which her career would take at that point, that she was this big busted, tan, brunette, really sexy hot girl who, like I said, she could act good enough for a film like Wild Things. Uh, I even read that Denise Richards was cast without them hearing her voice. So she literally was cast because of how she looked. Um... And I remember there being a lot of rumblings when this movie came out about Nev Campbell having, like, a no-nudity clause. Because the buzz was, like, oh my god, you know, this is the movie where we're gonna get to see Sidney Prescott's boobs. You know what I mean? And so when the film came out, and Nev never actually appeared naked, but Denise was naked several times, I think it the contrast amplified this, like, sex symbol thing that Denise was working on or had fallen into or whatever I don't really I don't really know or really get it but you know I think that like us not seeing Nev made it feel like Denise was like you know in a 90s standard like this wild little whore you know what I mean like because she was like showing her tits flashing her tits all over town that she was Sharon Stone you feel me um speaking of Scream but yeah I don't know I mean I I just I love this movie so much Denise also said in her book that when they asked her about the kissing scene with Nev, they made it clear that they wanted them to, like, actually kiss. Like, they didn't want, you know, like, a movie kiss. They wanted tongue. And she said in her book, the producers asked if it was okay for me to French kiss Nev on camera. She said, usually it's that pretend movie kiss, but they wanted a kiss kiss. And I thought, okay, I'm sure she has nice lips. So Nev and I went in her trailer, shared a picture of margaritas before we did the scene, and got super drunk. She said neither of us had ever kissed a girl, but I guess everyone has their first time. And um, speaking of nude scenes, I read on the IMDb trivia page for this movie, which is always fun, that Kevin Bacon had a, uh, you know, he, Kevin Bacon has, Kevin Bacon 
as a no nudity clause in his contract and uh he didn't realize that he was going to appear naked in the movie and he realized after it came out that he technically if he wanted to could sue himself and take himself to court and actually win money against himself because he breached his own no nudity clause this is a little trivia for you from imdb thanks imdb shout out a sponsor just kidding um now we have to move on i have to move on from wild things because you know how i am i'll fucking sit here and talk about one thing for 40 minutes i can very easily talk about wild things for 40 minutes i mean very iconic lines in that movie to recite could we just talk for one second really quickly I don't know if I've brought this up before. I think that I have because I've talked about Scream, which means I probably have. But if I have, I'm going to do it again because it's on brand for me to ramble and repeat things that I've already said. And my friends and I have this joke with Nev Campbell that, like, we call it Nev Campbelling. And you guys can take it. You can adopt it, whatever. Like, you know, introduce it into your group. But Nev Campbelling is when you... Nev Campbell has this way of speaking where she's very breathy and it's a lot of like... <laughs> it's a lot of like weird breaths, but like the breaths mean so many things, you know? Like if she's in despair, it's a lot of like... <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of like weird panting and breathing. There's a lot of... Um, I, you can't see me, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you what I'm doing. There's a lot of... So arm up, sh- shoulder out, or uh, ar- uh, what is this? Elbow out hand touching the hair head tilted confused do you know what i'm saying a lot of like hand touching the forehead as like a sign of confusion not hating by the way i love nev campbell but nev just has this very specific way of talking this very specific way of acting and contorting her face breathing it's all very nev campbell and one of my favorite nev campbellisms is uh in this movie when um when Kevin Bacon touches her her elbow and she turns around and says, Don't touch me! <laughs> very, it's a very Nev, it's a Nev breath. I don't know really how else to describe it. Don't touch me! You know what I mean? It's very Nev. I don't know. Even in like, there's a scene in The Craft, I'm pretty sure I brought this up on this podcast, but there is a scene in The Craft where like, she notices that the girl... The girl who, like, moves to her school that, like, becomes the HBIC. That she's able to, like, move her pencil on her own at her desk. And Nev is, like, staring at it and she's, like, totally entranced. And then it, 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 it she becomes so entranced by it that she, like, does a, a, a breathy Nev thing where she goes, I hope you guys can hear that. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a, let me do it one more time. <laughs> Um, anyway, let's move on. We should move on, right? It's what's happening right now. It's, it's one in the morning and I'm just, uh, I'm just too jazzed up on Charlie Sheen. So next we have to talk about James Bond. Did you guys forget that Denise Richards was a, was a Bond girl? Cause the internet didn't. The internet hates that Denise Richards was a Bond girl. People who love the Bond franchise despise that Denise Richards was a Bond girl and I like James Bond. I like the Bond films. Um, I grew up in the 90s, obviously. So the Pierce Brosnan, er- Pierce Brosnan area of Bond was like very prominent for me. Um, I do now think that they are the worst films. They're the cheesiest and like they're like comedies, but they're fun. You know, it's what action movies were in the 90s. It was just like fun. 
Um, but in 1999, I mean, this was a huge year for Denise. She starred in that year's Bond, which was The World Is Not Enough. And the movie was supposed to sort of transport her into this new level of fame, but it ended up completely backfiring. And I don't think she's ever really recovered from appearing in this movie, to be honest with you. Like, it was such a big deal. It was a huge deal to cast her. And Denise's character was supposed to be this, like, brainy, nerdy, badass, like, scientist. But the problem was that she fit every stereotype that you can imagine from a sexy nerd parody like she kind of looked like a leg avenue costume if that makes sense for like sexy nerd like a bagged polyester costume with like broken glasses and like you know a slutty little shirt with like a tie on it or whatever like that was denise her outfit the whole time consisted of like tied up tank tops where her nipples poked through and like little tiny like little tiny shorts and come like boots she kind of looked like laura croft but like not as chic um denise has been ranked the worst bond girl in the history of the franchise by pretty much every publication that's ever ranked the movies um she also won a razzie award in 1999 for worst supporting actress ironically uh at the same time she was nominated for a blockbuster favorite actress award so you know you win some you lose some and in 2012 she did an interview with usa today about this movie and she said i'll be honest i didn't realize how big bond was until i was cast and it was all over the news she said i'd never seen a james bond film when i screen tested and i got the movie i'm being dead serious after i got the part they were so sweet they sent us all dvd players and a huge stack of movies i was so honored to be a part of such an iconic franchise There's not too many scientists who run around in little shorts with a tattoo. So many people made fun of how I was dressed when the movie came out. That's part of the Bond appeal, though. These Bond girls are so outrageous, and if if I did look like a scientist, the Bond fans would have been really disappointed. The biggest part I I got out of it was being a part of something so iconic. I couldn't look... She said iconic, by the way, not me. I couldn't look at how big it was, though, because... That was how, what, (laughs) how big it was, though, because that was, (laughs) I couldn't look at how big it was, though, because that would have been too much pressure. I just had to go in there and do my job. Denise also starred in uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is a cult classic. Um, I've got to be honest with you, though, and this is very embarrassing. I hate doing this. I hate doing this to you because you guys know I'm a completionist. If I watch a show, I'll watch every season. I've watched every fucking season of America's Next Top Model. I'd like for you to find me another person who's never skipped an, an, a season or an episode of America's Next Top Model. Even the Rita Ora year. Find me another person. Send me the number. Who is the person? It's me. Tyra hasn't even seen every season of America's Next Top Model. I've seen every season. I'm a completionist. I like to watch things to their fullest. If I know that there's like a part one or part two or a prequel or whatever, I'll find it and I'll watch it. That's who I am. And I thought that I had seen Drop Dead Gorgeous because I've seen clips of it so many times throughout my life. You guys, I've never seen this movie. How fucked up is that that I'm even recording this episode and that I haven't seen that movie? Probably like the big, one of the, uh, not the biggest thing of her career, but like, you know, as far as like cult movies go, like the one that I should have seen. This is it. And I've not seen it. 
And that's all I... I I don't have any excuses. I'm not gonna... You know, I'm not gonna apologize for myself. I deserve whatever I get. I can't believe I haven't seen it. And I looked for it. I tried to watch it. I tried to illegally stream it. I tried to stream it normally. I mean, aside from paying for it, you guys, I did all I could do. Um, (laughs) Aside from paying the 80 cents it probably is on iTunes. Um... Later that year, she appeared as a guest on Friends and in Spin City. Spin City, which is very important to our story, obviously, because it's where she uh, she met her future beau. And uh, so this would mean that we have to jump over to Charlie Sheen. And y'all, I'm scared. I'm scared. I told you Denise was a palate cleanser and it was something easy and fun and light. And I mean, who doesn't want to talk about wild things? Bill Maher, can we talk? Bill Murray, not Bill Maher. Um... Wait, did I say Bill Maher earlier when I was talking about the movie? I said Bill Murray, right? That's embarrassing. Because that means that for the past, like, 15 minutes, if I did say Bill Maher, I've had to, like, live in that or whatever. Bill Murray. Anyway, we have to talk about Charlie Sheen, and... I'm just very scared, you guys. I just... I I don't feel like I'm... I don't know. I don't feel like I'm, like, equipped to talk about this, but I'm going to do whatever I can to make it all make sense and make it copacetic. And there's going to be things that I miss because our Charlie is a wild, he's a, he's a wild hellion. And he just, it's like every day there's like something else and I'm going to try and not miss things, but I know that I did and I know that I'll hear it, but I just, I did the best I could. You guys, Charlie was born and raised in New York. As you all know, he is the son of Martin Sheen. He is the brother of Emilio, Ramon, and Renee Estevez. And uh, their mother, Janet Templin, was an actress and a producer as well. Um, Charlie and his brother moved to Malibu. I'm sorry, Charlie and... Fuck, I'm tongue-tied. Charlie and his family moved to Malibu after his father finished a stint on Broadway. Charlie attended Santa Monica High School... Charlie attended Santa Monica High School with Robert Downey Jr., Rob Lowe, Sean Penn, a real doozy of a group. Am I right? Like, can you imagine these boys together? First of all, that's a lot of big dick energy. I'm not going to lie. I know that these are, this, it's, a, it's saying a lot, but like, that's a lot of BDE. I'm not going to lie. Especially as like young boys. I mean, can you imagine what it was like to walk through the hallway and watch Rob Lowe just exist with that face? I mean, really picture it. Like, even the straight men listening, the three of you, really picture it. Like, picture what it was like to watch Rob Lowe walk through the hallways of his high school and just fucking exist. To have the whole world probably crumble at his feet. Women throwing themselves at him. Men that wanted to be him. There is no more beautiful man than Rob Lowe. I'm telling you, like, 80s Rob Lowe, it's like... The way that Whitney was given a gift with her voice, Rob was, like, truly given a gift with his face. It's wild. Um, And apparently in high school, they would all make these little, like, Super 8 films together, and it was how they all sort of realized that they wanted to be actors. I mean, I'm sure for, you know, Charlie, that was something that was going to be in the cards for him no matter what. But, um, you know, they just kind of, like, learned to be creative together. And right before graduating his senior year, Charlie was actually expelled from high school for poor attendance and grades. And at that point, he had sort of devoted all of his time to acting. Um, He changed his name to Carlos, from Carlos Estevez 
to Charlie Sheen and he started going out on auditions. And around this time, Charlie was also, uh, he was arrested for marijuana possession and illegally charging merchandise to a stolen credit card receipt. And I, I do want to read you guys this little excerpt of this interview. It's a little long, but it's entertaining and it's funny. And it's Charlie talking about his arrest in the 90s. He said, when I was 16, me and my friend smoked a little pot. We fell asleep in the car with the radio on. We woke up and the car's dead. My friend walks out. I'm sorry, my friend walks home, but I slept in his car. I woke up to a badge tapping on the window. They had they got a call that someone had passed out drunk and was blocking traffic. So when he says license and registration, I opened the glove box and all my dope, my pipes, my rolling papers popped out. It was really bad. Then he tells me to step out. And I was carrying his knife. I was carrying this knife in an ankle holster. And I had this beautiful ivory uh, inlaid billy club. Like, uh-huh. I tried to tell him, like, a billy club? Um, I tried to tell him if there was ever a riot, I wanted to have some kind of weapon. He didn't buy it. So he handcuffs me and searches the entire car. I said to him, listen, could you just bust me for the weapons and not the pot? My parents are going to freak out. He said, no, no, that's not part of the lesson. It was like the moral police. When we got to the station, it was my mom's birthday, of course. My parents bailed me out. She's pretty cool about it. And dad is not cool at all. He doesn't say a word to me, which is a lot worse than someone yelling at you, actually. At least at least then you know what's on their mind. He wasn't even looking at me. So we get in the car, we go directly to church, and it ain't Sunday. He figured he'd put me in <laughs> he put me into the house of God and make me feel some serious guilt. That was about it. The judge was a friend of my mom's and nothing ever came of it. Nothing describes Charlie Sheen's life more than the fact that he got arrested and nothing ever came of it. I mean, this is a man who has been able his entire life to ju- to dodge responsibility, to dodge... I mean, like, how is Charlie Sheen surviving the Me Too movement? Can we talk? Like, is it is it so obvious that it's not even worth bringing up then? Or what? Because I do recall him having girls, like, trapped in his home a few years ago in 2013. Goddesses and whatnot. How is Charlie Sheen surviving the Me Too movement? I don't understand. Um, Charlie starred in the 1984 film Red Dawn, which was his, like, big breakout performance. Um, um, But his... Actually, no, that was his first movie. But his really big, huge breakout, like, Charlie Sheen is a star performance came in 1986 when he starred in Platoon. Um, Platoon was incredibly successful. It was nominated for um, an Independent Spirit Award. Actually, a bunch of Independent Spirit Awards. It was nominated for a ton of Golden Globes and a bunch of Oscars. And before Platoon, Charlie starred in Lucas, uh, The Wrath, and Ferris Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, I'm specifically mentioning Lucas because it stars Corey Haim. And that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Some of you know where that's going. Some of you don't. If you do, buckle up. If you don't, buckle up. Attach your wig. Clip it to your scalp. I don't know what else to tell you. Charlie Sheen's a fucking pedophile. We'll start there. Uh, The following year, Charlie starred alongside his father in the movie Wall Street. And both films are directed by Oliver Stone. Charlie was actually supposed to star in the film Born on the Fourth of July. um, Which he, he was cast for the movie and then... 
somehow he read in the press that Tom Cruise had taken the lead role and he wasn't told about it. So then he had this long, like, thing with Oliver Stone where, like, Oliver Stone had also written all these other movies for him, but he refused to star in them because he was upset that he didn't tell him about Born on the Fourth of July. Um, and in 1990, um, he did an interview with the Chicago Tribune. Um, actually, there was just an interview, that, or an article that was just, like, written about him, and about him being, like, an 80s bad boy. And they said the world seemed to open up for Charlie Sheen and he took to boozing and sex at the time when both were unfashionable. Charlie said that um, he became famous at the same time as AIDS. He made a little quip. Me and AIDS became famous together. Ironic. We have to talk about summer of 1990 for Charlie Sheen. It's a big summer. He left rehab and he shot Kelly Preston. Um... At the time, he had recently ended an engagement with Kelly Preston, um, who, I mean, he was, you know, he was wheeling and dealing all over Hollywood. Like, he was, he was a part of a Hollywood dynasty. He was good looking. He had a jawline for days. You know, he was doing these back-to-back successful films. His father and his brother were very successful, he opened up a restaurant. Like, he was living his life. He was spending a lot of money. You know, he was a notorious party boy. And on August 9th of 1990, Charlie checked himself into a rehabilitation center for drugs and alcohol. Um, his publicist, Jeff Bernard, released a statement saying that Charlie was suffering from extreme exhaustion due to filming back-to-back films. And at the time, Charlie said... As far as drinking and working, I haven't had a problem with that. Well, there was a couple times, but it didn't seem to make any sense because I had lost the, it really had lost its edge. When I get on set, I feel like I've got the edge. The alcohol and the drugs make it tough to maintain that. I got a little bit nuts. Suddenly, after sitting for three years alongside my brother, my friends Rob Lowe, Judd Nelson, and Tom Cruise, just watching all the attention they got and the women that went with it, it's like something you yearn for and pray for. So, you know, I was really trying to seize the moment and um, everything was worth it. When in fact, it was worthless. But it took a while and I had a problem that I never wanted to party in the party. I never wanted the party to end. Finally, the people around me were just like, dude, the party is fully over. Um, now, we also have to talk about him accidentally shooting Pelly Preston. This is a story that has been retold and changed and... And, I mean, it's, like, one of those, like, heard it through the grapevine stories where it started off as a small thing and now it's, like, it's escalated after 20, 30 years of being told that, like, Charlie Sheen had, like, a fucking sniper out and, like, shot Kelly Preston, like, in her jugular or something. I will tell you what happened, okay? This is the exact thing that happened. I heard it straight from the horse's mouth. Me and Charlie texted. I have got a source. We'll talk. So, Kelly... And Charlie obviously never ended up getting married. They called up their engagement. It was a very short period of time. And at the time, Kelly was a young, sort of up-and-coming actress. She was starring in Tales from the Crypt. Shout out. And um, this happened in a luxury townhouse community in Malibu uh, where they lived. They were together. Sheen was carrying a gun because he said that he had heard people lurking around the house. So he was carrying a gun around the house, like, at all times. Like, waking up, like, having breakfast, like loading his pistol, going to watch TV, watching the World the World Series or whatever men watch, and then, you know, shining his gun 
<clears throat> like he was just carrying a gun like all day, which is insane. So he left a pile of his clothes on the floor and his jeans had the gun in it that he had been carrying all day. And, uh, Kelly, the following day went to go pick up his clothes to move them and the gun in the pants shot her in her arm. Um, so she was obviously rushed to the hospital. I mean, like, yeah, it's a, it's a little less salacious than it, than it sounds when people just say like, oh, remember when Charlie Sheen shot Kelly Preston? She picked up the pants. She accidentally shot herself. She went to the hospital. They called up their engagement. That was pretty much it. I can't imagine why she called up the engagement though when he seems like such and I can't. Now, you guys, we have to talk about Heidi Fleiss. Do you understand now why this is a, a two-part episode? Like, Charlie Sheen's life is no joke, dude. Like, it's not, it's not anything to be fucked with. So, as you may or may not know, in the 80s, there was a woman named Heidi Fleiss um, who met a very famous madam named Madam Alex who taught her how to run a successful prostitution ring. And Heidi also worked as a prostitute herself for a short period of time. Um, that's how she learned how to appropriately charge somebody, how long a session should be, just all the things, you know what I mean? Um, so Madam Alex basically hired Heidi um, as like a person to come in and revitalize her business. Madam Alex was an older woman and the woman, the women that worked for her were older. They were all sort of transitioning out of the business. Um, and it was old school. It was just old school, you know, old school brothel madam shit. Like fucking, you know what I mean? Like old, old school, way back in the day brothel shit. Heidi Fleiss was like the new shit. You feel me? So Heidi ended up parting ways with Madam Alex when she realized that she could easily do this on her own. And she started her own prostitution ring. Heidi was a self-made millionaire within five months of owning her own business. And the business grew to such a level that Heidi actually started turning women down that were begging her to be a part of it. She had hundreds of women contacting her a week, begging her to be a part of her prostitution ring. And on her worst night, Heidi would rank in like $10,000. On the worst day, on, a, on, a, on an abysmal day where she is horrible business, she would get $10,000 per day. And all the money that she got and all the attention she was getting led to her inevitable arrest in 1993. Um, federal charges were filed in 1994, and she posted her $1 million bail in Dublin, California, and in 1995, Charlie Sheen's identity was revealed as one of the famous Johns in Heidi's iconic little black book. And it was revealed to the press that Charlie had contacted Heidi um, more than 27 times. And Charlie was so intertwined in Heidi's business that he actually started contacting the girls on his own. So he had like a fucking speed dial for all his favorite girls that Heidi employed. And, um, yeah, Charlie made it a point to mention, by the way, in his testimony, even though he wasn't asked, he made it a point to mention that he hired Heidi for 
heterosexual services, which I find very weird. And you know that we are eventually going to be talking about some real, real dark shit involving Charlie Sheen's sexuality. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. We're going to go there. He also mentioned during the trial that he uh, preferred Heidi's cheerleader types. Just a little something that I thought you would enjoy. Um, In 2012, Charlie admitted to spending $1.6 million in total on prostitutes after he found out that he was uh, HIV positive in the 90s. Now, the jury is still out on whether or not Charlie disclosed his HIV status to these women. And there's something about Charlie Jean that tells me he didn't. I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it. But I have this sneaking suspicion that he didn't tell any of the women that he was fucking raw that he had HIV. That was a little a little graphic, but you know what? Fuck it. We're talking about Charlie Sheen. If there's ever a time to use the, the term fucking raw, it would be for Charlie Sheen. Um, the following year, Charlie was charged with uh, battery. He assaulted his former girlfriend, Brittany Ashland. Um, she claimed that Charlie grabbed her by the back of her head and slammed her face as hard as he could into a marble floor to the point that she passed out, broke her nose, and busted her lip open so bad that it needed seven stitches. Um, photos of her face leaked on, leaked to the news. I almost said on the internet. Photos of her face leaked to the news. Um, she was in every tabloid. And she also mentioned that Charlie threatened to kill her if she went to the press or if she told anybody. Um, Charlie received two years probation. And in May of the following year, Martin Sheen convinced his son to enter a rehabilitation center in Malibu after this near-death overdose that he had. Um, He left rehab and was ordered back after being pulled over by a police officer. And a doctor who examined Charlie said that he was on copious amounts of prescription medications Um, He was in a full, fully delusional state. He didn't know who he was. He was rambling. Um, Much like I would imagine Charlie Sheen to have been publicly in 2013. And um, this was, you know, one year after Charlie had made this very public announcement that he was shedding his bad boy image and that he was cleaning up his act and he was done with drugs and blah, 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 blah. Um, Apparently, he needed to be tied down. He was restrained with leather straps, um, and he had taken a very large amount of ecstasy and was hallucinating. He told The Independent that year, ecstasy should be called the drug from hell because that's where it takes you. So, as the story goes, according to the internet, according to the bathroom walls, (laughs) um... Charlie and Denise met after uh, she had done a guest starring role on his sitcom, Spin City. Charlie uh, invited her out to dinner. And then at the last minute, he contacted her and said, like, hey, like, what would you say? We um, just eat at my place because the World Series is on and I want to eat at home and we can eat something healthy or whatever. So they sat in his living room and they both ate, like, Sort of like the 90s, early 2000s equivalent of like a, a, a uh, 
what are those bo- I can't think of the name of a box right now. Like an Eat Fresh? Fresh box? Why can't I think of the name of any box service? Hello Fr- Eat Fresh? What the fuck? Hello Fresh? What am I, 90? They had like a Hello Fresh box, basically. Like they sat, instead of going to dinner and getting like sushi or something, they ate like these prepackaged, you know, portion controlled, wrapped in plastic, like health meals. Um, and they sat on the floor in his living room and watched the World Series. Um, and Denise said, We had an awkward little moment by the door. I thought he was going to kiss me. And I was like, do I make the first move? Do I not kiss him at all? And when he hesitated, I thought, screw it. I'll be bold and make the first move. So I planted one on him. It was spectacular. And I definitely had butterflies. I guess I should mention, because I kind of skipped it, that in 2002, Charlie made his television debut on the very successful 90s sitcom Spin City. Charlie was chosen to replace Michael J. Fox in the ABC comedy that year. Um, and that was a big deal. Like, this was, you know, this was before television had reached, like, its golden age, like we're in now. The Sopranos had only been on for a handful of years, so it wasn't, you know, The Sopranos was the first of its kind. So, this was a big deal. This was, like, a time way before really, really successful television or um, film stars who had been in movies that were nominated for Oscars would do TV. Like, it was almost unheard of. It was, you know, it was a curse to your career. It meant like, oh, like, you must be struggling, you know. Um, Denise claimed that on their second date, Charlie, she knew that Charlie was the one. She already knew at that point that she wanted to marry him. She told People Magazine, I knew he was the one, but I wouldn't tell him. She said, I didn't want to scare him away. Uh, by saying, you're my future husband, and I didn't want him to run for the hills. Charlie proposed to Denise on December 26th of 2011. <laughs> of 2001. I don't know, I thought that was so funny. Um, and he apparently ran the idea by his therapist first, because I guess that's who he wanted full support from. I am proud of him. And... Uh, Then he went to a designer to create a custom engagement ring. He created a 4.3 carat solitaire diamond set on top of three rows of 100 tiny little diamonds. And I'll tell you one thing. I don't know what any of of that shit means. I don't know what the fuck any of that shit means at all. I've made it very clear on this podcast and in life that if a man ever gave me a ring for an engagement that costs more than, I don't know... More than a thousand dollars, we'd be throwing bows. We'd be fucking throwing bows in the lawn. Like it would turn into a Jerry Springer. So I would shatter a chair over him. I don't want some fucking elaborate ring. Who cares? Take me on a trip. Buy me clothes. You know what I mean? Let's use it for a down payment on a house. Let's get a car. I don't give a fuck about some fucking ring. Are you kidding? Are you out of your mind? Unless the ring has compartments that I can live in or can drive me to work. I don't give a fuck. A fiddler's fuck, as the Irish would say. Um, (laughs) I don't give a fiddler's fuck. And during their engagement, Charlie got a tattoo of Denise's name on his wrist, uh, which um, when they got married, she got one too. She later had Kat Von D transform it into a fairy. Uh, which is like, I mean, name something worse than getting a, a tat, not only getting a tattoo for your husband that is now, you have to get covered up because you're divorcing, but then turning it into a fairy, like name something worse. You can't, 
Denise and Charlie got married on June 15th of 2002. They had a uh, traditional Roman Catholic ceremony, and the event took place at Gary David Goldberg's house, who was the creator of Spin City. And Denise wore a satin crystal beaded Armani gown. Charlie wore a two-button Armani tuxedo. This is really great. Denise had an orchestra and a choir perform the acapella version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game for her baseball-obsessed husband. And People Magazine described it as a joyous outburst. Um, They also performed a dance number choreographed by yours truly, Debbie Allen, which included spins and dips. And Martin Sheen described Charlie as the, as Fred Astaire doing the waltz. Can we talk? Can we just talk about that whole sentence? There's some of it that I actually want to read again. They, she hired a fucking choir and a band to play Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Any man that needs a beautiful rendition of Take Me Out to the Ball Game at their wedding is no friend of mine. That is a man that is just too fucking straight for me. Do you know what I mean? You know what a man can be too straight? Like, there are some men that can be too straight even for other straight men. That's too straight. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't. Take me out to the ball game at our wedding? Motherfucker, are you kidding me? At our wedding? And then they performed the uh, a dance number? Can you imagine Charlie Sheen doing choreographed dancing? Choreographed by Debbie Allen of fame? I can't. I can't with any of it. I don't, I don't want to. In 2003, Charlie was cast in the show Two and a Half Men, which went on to become this incredibly successful douchebag comedy. Um, it won a million Golden Globes and Emmys. I mean, it, Two and a Half Men was definitely one of those shows at the awards that you'd be like, fuck, here we go. It's like, let's celebrate Two and a Half Men for three fucking hours. It's just like Modern Family. If Modern Family wins another award, I swear to God, I will fuck. I mean, I will literally rage. I will gay rage. I will, my hand will touch my chest so fast and hard. My pearls will be clutched so tight. Good God. We get it, Academy. We get it. Modern Family is a big dick that you like to suck. We get it. Fuck. And, I mean, can we talk about Two and a Half Men for a second? Like, the thing that I never realized, even when I would watch that show at the beginning, because I do remember my family kind of, like, liking the show at the beginning. Um, and I remember thinking it was, like, funny or whatever. Um, but the thing that I didn't put together, because I was a youngin', is that that was, like, a show specifically created for, like, middle American Trump-supporting men. Like, that was a show that was supposed to, like, make these middle American men feel heard. These like middle American white guys that do wear bowling shirts and cargo shorts or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm like getting angry all of a sudden for, I don't even know why. Can we talk for a second though? Because I'm actually also holding, I'm about to put on some chapstick and <laughs> this chapstick is hilarious because I got it the other night at a bar and one of those, like, shot girls gave it to me. She was, like, working for Milagro, the tequila company. And she walked up to me and she goes, Would you like some free merch? And I was like, no thanks, because I thought she was giving away, like, beads. And she's like, are you sure? And then I looked and saw she had chapsticks. And, like, I am a chapstick fucking whore. 
And as soon as I realized that she had Milagro uh, sponsored chapsticks that taste like tequila, girl, she became my best friend. I was obsessed. So I just, um, I just lathered a tequila flavored chapstick upon my lips. It feels like shit and it tastes disgusting, but I love chapstick. Anyway, by the way, I, don't you love that Patreon exclusive? You guys are so lucky that you're getting like the scoop. <laughs> um, and yeah, Charlie Sheen was getting $1.8 million per episode for Two and a Half Men. Like he was, you know, he was doing great. And uh, in late 2015, Denise did a podcast where she actually talked about how much Charlie's changed right after they got married. And it's worth mentioning, um, if I haven't already, that Charlie was actually sober when they got married. He was sober for several several years. And so Denise met the sober version of him, and he was sober at the very beginning of their marriage. Um, she also mentioned that Charlie actually despised the drunk version of him, and that he was kind of like two different people. And sober Charlie really hated the version of himself that would, like, abuse women and, like, do all this crazy shit. Like, he hated Drunk Charlie, but, I mean, Drunk Charlie is, like, so much more who Charlie Sheen even is at this point. But she said, Charlie, when I married him, he wasn't a bad boy. He was sober for almost four years, and he was a very different person at that time. His lifestyle was very, very different. He was a former bad boy, I guess. And she said, I have, a, I have a lot of empathy for anyone that struggles with addiction. I'm not going to judge the choices they made under the influence. I can only judge the person I'm meeting. And I think sometimes past experiences make you who you are. So I just went off the person that I met and I gotten to know and fell in love with. He was just very different. Um, she also spoke about how blacklisted she had become from being married to Charlie because he was seen as someone who was unreliable. I mean, it's Charlie. I don't need to like spell it out. It's Charlie Sheen. You know what I mean? She was married to Charlie Sheen. People were like, girl, you're trash. And, um, Denise and Charlie had their first daughter, Sam in 2004 and their second daughter, Lola Rose in 2005. And Denise was also very vocal about the fact that she spent a, a large majority of her children's lives lying to them about who her dad was, who their dad was. I'm sorry. You know, to the point that she actually felt like, her relationship with them was distanced or maybe a little strained when they got old enough to realize that everything she had told them about their dad was untrue. You know, she wanted to protect them and have them not know that her, you know, their dad was this like abusive drug addict, alcoholic, you know, prostitute addicted fucking little fucker. You know what I mean? Um, it's also been said, too, by the way, that, you know, Denise knew for a very long time about Charlie's HIV status. I don't know when he... T I mean, obviously, I don't know when he told her. I wasn't, like, sitting bedside. But, like, I do think that um, she found out probably at the beginning of their marriage because she knew for a long time while, while they were together. And they weren't really together for that long. So I'm assuming, you know, she had to have found out probably towards the beginning of them getting together. Um... Denise and Charlie separated for a short period of time in 2005 while she was pregnant with their second daughter, Lola. Um, she uh, filed for divorce, but sort of like didn't follow through with it. Just like wanted to see what would happen. They went to couples counseling. Um, they really worked on it. And, you know, I think she was going to try and help him sort of like get through his sobriety or whatever. And then D <laughs> Denise and Charlie ended up following through with their divorce 
Um, they officially separated on November 30th. And um, their divorce became one of the most public in Hollywood history. I mean, it all started with these documents that Denise presented to the judge alleging all these different forms of abuse that he put her through um, with her children. And I'm going to read the claims to you because you guys know that I love um, court claims. There's nothing that I love more. So I'm just going to read down the list of different things that she said Charlie did to her. Um, she said that Charlie was allegedly furious that their first daughter um, was going to be a girl. And he demanded that Denise terminate the child even way beyond the point of being able to have an abortion. He told her that if she didn't get rid of it, he would. Whatever that means. Um, Charlie became verbally abusive to Denise after he found out that she had switched from nursing their child to formula. Um, he told her, and this is quote, giving our child formula is going to make her retarded, end quote. Um, and that was another thing. Charlie has these very, very specific conspiracies and rules regarding their daughter's health and that he thinks like the good, everything is going to, like, he's really, he's like a conspiracy theorist when it comes to vaccines and stuff. He hates all that stuff. Um, when Charlie found out that Denise took their daughter to get a vaccine, he threw a chair at her back, um, told her that she was a bad mother and that she had poisoned their child. Charlie then called their pediatrician and threatened to kill her, which led to them being blacklisted and the pediatrician actually testified in court on Denise's behalf so that she would get her children. The, um, the pediatrician made it clear that any doctor in Hollywood is honored to serve and fucking protect a celebrity. I mean, that's, you know, a doctor will give somebody like Anna Nicole a prescription as long as it means that they have that Anna Nicole business coming through. You know what I mean? It means that they're going to make a lot of money. Their their clientele opens up more. That They become known as the doctor who will see celebrity clients and keep their secrets. So she made it very clear that for a celebrity to be banned by a any sort of doctor, even a pediatrician, is almost unheard of. So you have to do something horrible for that to happen. And... Yeah, he called her and told her that he was going to kill her and then described to her how he would do it. Um, when he drove Denise to the hospital to deliver their child, he was placing bets with his, with like, because he has a gambling addiction. So he was placing bets while he was driving her to the hospital to get, to go into labor. He kicked her out of the car and made her walk into the hospital by herself he left and found a payphone to call people on so that he could talk about his betting. And then he refused to drive her home with their new baby. He left her there. Charlie showed up at Denise's house a half hour early for a planned visitation. When he got there, he saw she was holding Lola and their other daughter was sitting on the floor playing with toys um, he swung her door open, pushed her chest, um, she fell backwards on a toy and slammed on the floor with their child, so their kid goes fucking rolling across the floor, 
And he got really close to her face and said, uh, I hope you fucking die, bitch. Um, Denise also presented a stack of emails Charlie had sent her, one stating, quote, you're a pig, a sad jobless piggy who was sad and talentless. And, um, oh yeah, you're sad and jobless and evil and a bad mom. So go fuck yourself, you sad jobless pig. Go cry on your bald mom, you fucking loser. And at the time, her mom was battling breast cancer and ended up passing away. Um, he told her to go cry to her bald mom. Um, I also need to mention at this point that Denise was granted a restraining order against Charlie and was also, um, she went public with the fact that not only did Charlie have addictions to drugs and alcohol and gambling and prostitutes, but also child porn. We're going to go there. We're going to fully go there. Like, I I just have to say this before I even, like, go into this whole thing. And I've been having this conversation a lot, like, recently with Molly. Um, it's, like, I know that a lot of people think that, like, this, like, Me Too movement is going to, like, shatter Hollywood. And I know that it has shaken Hollywood up a lot. And it's been incredible for these women to feel validated. And they've gotten, you know, the opportunity to tell their story after however many years. And these disgusting men are finally, like having to be held responsible for the shit that they do. But for the most part, Hollywood hasn't really changed. It's just that, like, now we do this thing where we, you know, we remove a person's, like, career history. Like, we cancel their career. We cancel people. That's, like, the new thing, right? Somebody does something you don't like, you just cancel their work. It's not really changing Hollywood. And to me... The Me Too movement that we actually need is, like, for children. Because there are kids being molested and abused in Hollywood so rampantly. And everybody knows this, but it's something that people don't really talk about. And I just find it horrifying. Um, it's almost as if, in my opinion, this is just me, but I almost feel like the Me Too movement was embraced by Hollywood because this is so... On the tip of the tongue, it's so close to being um, something that everybody knows. And it is something that so many people know and so many people talk about. But at the same time, it's not, you know, it's not on the forefront of what's important right now. And, you know, as horrible as I think it is. That somebody like Gwyneth Paltrow had to, or, you know, Rose McGowan and all these women had to go through what they went through. It's terrible. And there's, you don't compare abuse. You know what I mean? There's no reason to even do that. But in this case, it's like, these are children and it's a lot of children. And they're children that are, that have come forward and said like, you know, it's like, we wonder why these child stars, like, you know, you wonder, like Demi Lovato just was in the fucking hospital. She OD'd. And it's like, you wonder why these child stars who are a part of a Disney machine grow up and become problematic and lose their minds and shave their heads and do all these fucking things. And it's like, how long are we going to pretend we don't know why that's happening? How long are we going to pretend that we don't know that the reason child stars become addicted to drugs is because when they're young, people give them to them so that they're complacent and quiet and compliant and so that they can abuse them and and they won't say anything or they won't struggle or whatever like how long are we just gonna like allow that to happen like i just find it like really appalling um 
and in a case like this, it's like, you know, Denise Richards came forward, to, you know, 20 fucking years ago and said that Charlie Sheen watches child porn. She saw it on his computer. She saw that he watches it. She confirmed it. She confronted him about it. She went public about it. And it's just like, meh. Why is that not a big deal? Shouldn't it be a big deal that Charlie Sheen watches child porn? Shouldn't that be a big deal? Like, I don't understand. I just don't understand. Um... Yeah, so she mentioned in her court documents that, she, that Charlie watched um, gay child porn. It was it, he watched his little boys. That's his, his his drug of choice. He's addicted to it, and um, it was something that was brought up in court. He, you know, he has an ex an extreme addiction to to everything in his life, but even more specifically to like child porn. Like I just think that that's so fucking insane. And um, a lot of publications you read will say things like, you know, Denise claims that the, the people in these videos looked young or whatever. No, Denise confirmed that they were children. She saw it with her own eyes. She knew that they were kids. And you may or may not recall that before his death, um, Corey Haim had alleged that Charlie Sheen sexually assaulted him. He told his mom and his mom came forward about it. And this happened when he was 13 years old on the set of the film Lucas. Um, an actor named Dominic Basquiat, who I actually have a lot to say about this fucking guy because he's also a pedophile. Um, but he gave a quote the, um, in 20, I guess, what was that? It was a couple years ago. Um, he gave a quote where he said, um, Haim told me that he had, a se that he had sex with Sheen um, when they were filming Lucas. Dominic, a former actor close to the friend, told... This is the National Enquirer. Um, he said that the Lost Boys legend exclusively told the Enquirer... He told me they smoked pot and had sex. He said that they had anal sex. And that Haim said after it happened, Sheen became very cold and rejected him. When Corey wanted to fool around again, Charlie was not interested. Now... It would make sense that Dominic was privy to this very personal information about Corey Haim because he was also molesting Corey Haim. Um, you know by this point, if you've listened to more than one episode of this podcast, that I am obsessed with horror movies. I love 80s horror movies, very specifically Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, um, Halloween. I like classic horror franchises and... I know every single Friday the 13th by heart. I know who's in each one of them. I know everything about them. And this Dominic Braschia guy is in Nightmare... He's in uh, Friday the 13th. Uh, let's see, which one is it called? It's called... Uh, it's called Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, if you want to look him up. Um, his character in the movie, his name is Joey. He's, like, this big dopey idiot that, like, is overweight and eats chocolates or whatever. Because, like, that's what it meant to be fat in the 80s. And, um, in his, in his autobiography, Corey actually, Corey Feldman actually very loosely veiled who this person was that, you know, Corey Haim lived with for a long time. Um, Corey had moved out of his house, with, out of his parents' home and, um, was living with this guy, Dominic, who took him in and was pretty regularly raping him to the point that Corey Haim actually thought they were in some sort of relationship when he was a child. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, if you've read Corey Feldman's book, you would know, like, the thing with Corey Haim was that 
a lot of the times, because this was something that had happened to him for so long and so frequently, he didn't really have the ability at that point to separate abuse from love. Um, he thought these men that were raping him cared about him and that they loved him. And, you know, it makes com- it actually checks out that Corey went back to Charlie and was like, why aren't you talking to me? You know, he's a 13-year-old boy thinking that this guy maybe likes him or whatever. And doesn't realize that he's just being used by these men. It's just, it's horrible. It's, it, it kills me. Like, it really just, like, makes me so upset. It makes me so sad. And I just don't understand why people don't care about it or why nobody talks about it. I don't get why Charlie Sheen is, like, allowed to show up to things. I just don't understand. Like, if, if fucking Harvey Weinstein and, and Bill Cosby are canceled, we have to cancel Charlie Sheen. You can't, like, pick and choose people that you want to, like, be upset with. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, these are kids. Ugh. Um, Denise and Charlie divorced. Um, It became official on November 30th of 2006. And as you know, this went on for many, many years beyond their actual divorce. Um, (laughs) This is a divorce that's, like I said, it goes on. It's, It's happening now. I mean, literally, you turn on the news... There's going to be some news about Charlie Sheen and Denise Richards. And I told you guys earlier that this is going to be a part one episode. There's too much in Charlie's life that I want to cover. And of course, I want to talk about I want to talk about his winning era. I want to talk about Tiger Blood. I want to talk about Brooke Mueller. I want to talk about Heather, uh, Heather fucking Locklear's crazy ass. I want to talk about all of it. Um... I want to go over some blind items that I am obsessed with in regards to these two. Yeah, I'm gonna. I, I'm doing some Shane Dawson work this week, you guys. Truly, this is conspiracy theory shit, and um, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it fully. I love you guys so much. I'm all worked up now. It's 1.33 a.m., and your boy needs a cigarette because I am just amped. I am pissed. I want... F- fucking victory for these kids i want a victory for Corey haim i just i can't you know what i mean i just can't do it but i can do you because i love you literally so much i love you for supporting this podcast and i don't know what else to say i don't know what else to say i've completely exhausted myself i think i'm gonna end it now and like i said we're, we're gonna come back next week with a part two hell we may even do a part three we may even do a whole fucking episode on 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 Heather Locklear and Charlie. Those disgusting fucking psychopath pigs. But you guys... Uh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ew. Who else do you know that burps into their fucking microphone for their podcast? Only me. I love you guys so much. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for continuing to support this mushroom uh, through the... Uh, the hellfire that is happening right now in our facebook group as you guys know i mean it's the elephant in the room can we talk it's happening we all know what's happening and i just want to say thank you guys for continuing to support this podcast and i love you and um that is all i have to say thank you for listening to this mushroom an emotionally broken psycho's patreon exclusive please make sure to head over to apple Podcasts and subscribe rate and review it really helps your boy also, make sure to head over to patreon.com slash evpsychos for more information on this show and other Patreon-exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGeady. That's T-R-O-Y-M-C-E-A-D-Y. You can also follow this podcast at EBP underscore Smushroom. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.